Welcome to Global Journalists, a show by, for, and about journalists and those who depend on our work. I'm Trevor Hook, one of the show's producers. It was one death, and then it was two, and then suddenly it was ten. We've been going nonstop probably for a good week and a half to two weeks. They shut our city down. And it was just a matter of um, diving into it completely. When we finally realized we couldn't keep going back to our our newsroom in San Francisco, it was just too much of a... um, too much of a risk. Those were the voices of three photographers who are in the middle of covering the coronavirus pandemic. Paige Cornwell of the Seattle Times, Kent Porter of the Santa Rosa Press Democrat, and Carlos Gonzalez of the San Francisco Chronicle. They spoke with Kat Duncan of the Reynolds Journalism Institute a few weeks ago. And while a lot has changed in the world since then, the perils these journalists face haven't. Like many, they're worried about their jobs, their finances, and what this might mean for the future of their industry. We wanted to share this conversation with you to give you a look at yet another way life is changing during this pandemic and how it's affecting those who give you the information you need to stay informed. We'll start with Paige Cornwell talking about some of the biggest changes in her day-to-day life as a photojournalist. I think the biggest adjustment is just that no one is in the newsroom. Before, you know, there were people there sort of running the mothership, and now it's just figuring out where where people are. It's also been very um, kind of, for me, actually more of an adjustment because I'm often, you know, in other places, but the fact that there aren't any businesses open anymore, so there were no, no coffee shops for me to file from. Um, I had to file everything from, you know, my car. We're definitely still kind of running on a... Uh, oh my God, all hands on deck. So organization-wise, it's not probably what we would like it to be, but um, we're still managing to, to get stuff out, but certainly not uh, as organized as we normally would. Kent Porter of the Santa Rosa Press Democrat says it's just a matter of time before newsrooms everywhere are faced with the same challenges. It's coming your way. It's, it's just not a matter of, of if, it's when. And, and if you can test these things now, and get this stuff down to to a science, you're going to be much better off. I know that Seattle has done it for a long time, um, and they're just, I mean, they're just kicking everybody's butt. I mean, they're just doing a great job. And we've kind of, I, I've kind of looked at their coverage like, okay, that's what I could be doing. Carlos Gonzalez of the San Francisco Chronicle says news outlets on the West Coast have an advantage due to a lot of practice with disaster coverage. I think that uh, one of the things that really prepared us for this was the uh, inordinate amount of uh, wildfires we've had to cover lately and earthquakes. And we've had disaster planning in the works for years based on, you know, the big one, as they say, when, you know, this large earthquake that we've been waiting for for 50 years. Gonzalez says the move to portable computers has been crucial in keeping news operations running. We're just extending services we already had in place using apps like Slack that allows us to be, you know, communicate without being in the same room or even in the same part of the newsroom. Uh, It's just that we're now doing it from our homes, our living rooms. A few years ago, the company uh, started changing out the big desktop computer um, that sat, you know, on your desktop like a monolith and uh, started replacing them with laptops that, that everybody could just plug their monitor into. So everything they needed, they could literally pick up and walk out with. And that was just something that I don't know if they, you know, just fortuitous or, you know, whatever, but it's it's really helped out quite a bit. 
Kat Duncan is a senior editor at the Reynolds Journalism Institute's Innovation and Futures Lab and is a photojournalist herself. She put together this panel. Um, going into our next question then about equipment is what new um, or more complicated safety procedures are you guys undergoing every day to make sure that you're safe? Are you sterilizing equipment after every assignment? Are you only interacting with the public outside? Kind of how have assignments changed in the current situation? It's tricky because there are times when uh, when you're out there and I mean for me it's hard not to shake people's hands or you know be um, you know a little bit more personal and getting in close with the camera to be a little more intimate it's it's tricky and you know I found that I'm, I'm a little bit more concerned now about even putting my cameras down when I'm on an assignment and uh, just the other night I was photographing the uh, closing of some of the last bars in San Francisco and I was at this place that um, on, on any given day might have been a, <laughs> not quite as clean as it should have been. Um, you know, I felt, I feel terrible saying that, but I started to, to really kind of like question whether I should set my second camera with my long lens down um, in that place. And, um, it, you know, just because you don't know if, you know, there's the people coming in, in there, you know, might've been exposed to it or I might've been exposed to it. And all of a sudden you're, you're picking this camera up and they're right in front of your face, right in front of your nose and mouth. And it's a little bit, uh, you know, disconcerting to you know start doubting um like that and so i've been carrying around a um uh one of those tubs of uh clorox wipes and trying to disinfect as often as i can even between us between assignments or locations i know it might be a little bit overkill but um like i was mentioning earlier i'm a little bit um, um susceptible to respiratory infections and uh, I'm, might, I might be in a little bit of a higher risk group because I have asthma as well. So, and I also know that I sometimes I slip and I shake people's hands as well. Um, but yeah, anytime I can wipe that stuff down or be a little bit more uh, careful with it, I'm, I'm, you know, keeping certain things out of certain parts of my car so that I know that, that I'm maintaining a, you know, kind of a space that, that I can clean a little bit more easily if that makes sense. It does. So has um, the Chronicle instituted any like mandatory precautions? Do you guys have to wear masks or gloves, clean equipment a certain amount of time? Has anything like that happened yet? Not yet. I mean, we, we're basic, we've basically been told to maintain a distance from subjects um, and also not to go into places where people might have, you know, be, be testing positive, uh, shoot from a little bit of a, you know, safe space, so to speak. Um, and uh, but nothing where you know we 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 are you know restricted from doing our our assignments or whatever. It's a um, you know it, it's so fluid. I mean it changes from day to day, and I think we just have to step up our own precautions. You know, um, but but being out and about in you know as photographers we, we we don't have the luxury of being able to do our jobs from from the security of our home, and so we have to just kind of like gauge the situation and be be ready to kind of respond to it a little bit more carefully. At this point now, if you are going to be going anywhere um, that has had, like considered a high risk area, um, say a hospital, um, you, interviewing someone who's tested positive, you have to get approval from an, an AME assistant, a managing editor. Um, so higher up ranking, and they are the ones who are now weighing the, um, you know, the pros and cons of of that and certainly the handshaking has been a very kind of weird adjustment but people are aware of it we also found um, that 
during press conferences, especially in news briefings, people are very uh, all up in each other's business. And at some point we all, the kind of main people who have been outside nursing homes realize, okay, we can't do that anymore. We need to stay away and we can all just shout. Uh, so that's been a, an adjustment too. Um, but it hasn't been, I think, as difficult as maybe in other places because people here are so aware of it already. Kent, has your newsroom uh, installed any new precautions or asked the staff to do anything specific? Uh, you know, um, we don't, we, we were given a list of things that, you know, we should probably do on assignment. And I'll echo what everybody else said about, you know, we're just a little bit more careful about how we go out into an assignment. Um, but we, I've only worn my mask twice uh, because I, I went into one area that I was, it was a little suspect and I, and they were preparing food. So I realized that I probably should wear a mask just to be conscious of the fact that I could be carrying, you know, I think we all have to be proactive like that. Uh, but mostly I don't, but I got to tell you, I have a, I have a system that when I, when I go out on assignment, it doesn't matter what assignment it is. I get back to the vehicle. Um, I wipe down the handle of my truck, uh, get into the vehicle. I wipe down my steering wheel and my gear shift and everything else around me. And then I take another wipe out, another two wipes out. I wipe down every part of my equipment, both cameras. I'm just using one camera now. I was using two. So I wipe down my wide and my, my zoom. Um, and once in a while, a 300. And I, I have a very deliberate uh, thing that I do. So once I do that, I get back out of the vehicle and I have bottled water and I have soap in my truck and I wash my hands. And I don't just wash them. I wash them all over and I wash up most of the time up to the middle of my uh, my forearm and uh, I do that all day long all all day long because you know I've got family I don't want to infect and I've got friends I don't want to infect anybody and I don't want to infect the people I go out to but um, I, everybody has a little different uh, standard you know I carry bleach with me I um, I even bleach the bottom of the soles of my feet I take off my shoes before I get home um, and I bleach the soles again after I walk and then when I get inside, I take off my clothes. I know it's really risque. I take off my clothes. Uh, I put them in a bag. I take them to the washer. I dump them in the washer and sanitize all my clothes that I've worn that day. And I immediately go in, take a shower, wash down really well, you know, um, washing my body really well for the first part and then washing my hair and my face. Um, you know, you have to be just, you know, I'm super paranoid about it. I, you know, obviously you don't want to get it, but it's part of a responsibility of being a journalist, a photojournalist, is that, you know, you are in close contact with people all the time. And, and lens-wise, um, I, I backed off quite a bit in my shooting routine. I'm shooting a lot more long stuff now than I was wide. And, and I'm, I'm maintaining that six-foot distance. So I'm very, uh, I'm very, I'm hyper aware that uh, as journalists, we're, you know, we're, we're, we're considered essential. So we need to be able to go out and report these stories without getting without getting ourselves sick and um crippling our news coverage and then getting other people sick i think it's just it's just something as a journalist that you just really need to do and being hyperactive about it i don't i don't think it's overkill really um i'm wasting a lot of stuff but i i'll tell you what i, I feel good and uh, i feel good about my how i clean myself
So let's talk a little bit about self-care and support. What are you guys doing to take care of yourselves? What are your fellow journalists doing? Are you a part of Facebook groups? Uh, what are you doing to make sure that you stay healthy and sane so that you can keep working? Uh, why don't we start with Carlos? I, I, I call people, I talk to friends and family. I'm, you know, um, I know that it's difficult to sometimes to you know, go through something like this when your family might be at risk. My parents are both over 80. My mom's birthday was on Monday and I couldn't even go see her. Um, so lots of phone calls, you know, telling them it's going to be okay. I mean, I know that our responsibility to, is to be out there and I know that we have to keep people from pushing the panic button. So it doesn't help if we, if we push it first. You know, I'll, I'll be honest, I, I did have to call my doctor and ask whether I should be tested because I started having some, some questions about, you know, uh, some, some uh, symptoms that I was having that I, I felt should be addressed because I did come into first person contact with a young woman who had to come back from Italy and uh, from near the area that was first, um, first quarantined. Um, I've gotten better, but I just didn't want to take a chance and don't want to be a vector for this at all. I don't want to put some, somebody else's life at risk. Paige Cornwell of the Seattle Times. One thing I've done is even just for an hour, not have any screens, not have my phone or have my laptop. Even one hour, I got super anxious uh, about it. But even just that hour really helped. Um, taking walks. I found that I would be in my apartment and I would think, oh my gosh, it's the apocalypse. The world is ending. You know, everyone's freaking out. And then I'd go outside and realize, okay, there are still people outside. Most of them are social distancing. The world is not ending yet. Um, so that that's really helped. And also, uh, Hearing from readers and who are thinking us and kind of reminding myself of our duty and how we are one of the reliable places people can go to now, that's been really helpful as well. Kent Porter, the Santa Rosa Press Democrat. Well, when I when I get back to the to my place, I, I put I put the phone down, and and I don't I don't read it for um, I, I, I'll probably a good two hours uh, and. Uh, after I get all settled down and I eat, um, I just decompress from all that stuff. Last night it was a little difficult for me because uh, I was so busy yesterday. But I, I, I put the phone down, I put the computer down, and I turn on Netflix and I watch the comedy specials. I, I, I need to laugh. I found that I needed to laugh. A lot of people's lives are being disrupted, but getting out and taking deep breaths uh, and, and, and just kind of looking at your surroundings and realizing, yeah, we're in this, it's going to be deep for a while, but you'll come out on the other side and there's hope. Your goal is to, to report as a marathon and not a sprint. And you have to live your life like that, you know, and I really had to, well, especially with this, really learn to uh, really, really get my head out of my job when I get home, because uh, it is really, very, very tough to do that. Uh, before I go to sleep, <laughs> it sounds funny, but I, I uh, hook up uh, the computer to, and do that, those uh, rain sounds and the waves and the river sounds, and it puts me right to sleep. It's great. You're listening to Global Journalist on KBIA 91.3 FM. If you want to listen back to this show or jump into our archives, visit KBIA.org. On this episode, Kat Duncan of the Reynolds Journalism Institute is speaking with Paige Cornwell of the Seattle Times, Kent Porter of the Santa Rosa Press Democrat, and Carlos Gonzalez of the San Francisco Chronicle. All three are photographers who are currently covering their respective areas right now during the COVID-19 pandemic. Here's Kat. Are you guys still going into people's homes and interviewing them, photographing them? Um, 
Has that changed at all in assignments? I can tell you that uh, from what I've seen, people aren't getting mic'd up as much as they used to be. But I think that there's just a certain amount of precaution that you've got to take. Uh, you know, sticking a microphone on somebody right below their face that you've handled and then that they're going to breathe into. I think it's just, you know, you can use a boom mic if you need to, if that's, if that's your, you know, um, if that's your, if that's your preference. Or you can go in a room that's got a little bit of echo to it and you can probably get a little bit more sound out of it. Typically, if someone has said that they are being tested or you know has symptoms, we do not go into the home. Uh, and I was actually asked to go shoot an assignment up north uh, in, uh, in Ken's neck of the woods on somebody who was um, you know, feeling that they had symptoms and couldn't get a test and was specifically told not to photograph inside the home. Um, by my, you know, managers because they don't want us to get exposed. Um, in other cases, when we're when we're doing stories about you know vulnerable communities, uh, we do go inside, but you know only when it's they've confirmed that they're not having any symptoms or any um, having any issues. You know, I'm trying to maintain a distance on a personal level anyway because I I don't you know where I've been might might um, might have uh, I might have picked up something or whatever, and I don't want to bring that into somebody's home as much as possible. So, um, you know, it's a mixture. At this point, it's, it's about, you know, having, having good judgment, you know, about where you've been and, and you know, what you could potentially um, either come in contact with or put others in contact with. There's been a lot of um, shooting from outside a window and, and taking photos that way. So it's, it's definitely been us, but then also people who, who don't feel comfortable with that. And I've um, been doing a lot of like the, the six foot, interviews too, where you kind of have to project to uh, answer, uh, get your uh, questions answered, which has been an adjustment as well. Uh, Kent, maybe you can start us off with our next question. Um, is there anything you wish that had been done to be, for your newsroom to be better prepared? Do you have suggestions for newsrooms who are about to experience this? Um, I, I would test. I would test everything that you have and make sure that, and, and do dry runs, you know, it might take a little bit longer, it might add to your day, but, you know, here, here's how you got to look at it. You know, when we cover wildfires, you know, we, we um, you've got to, you just got to have, you just have to know that if it's going to hit the fan, it's going to hit the fan and you got to be there for it. Now, with, a, with something like this, um, if someone gets sick in your newsroom and everybody's there, your newsroom's done. You're not going to be able to communicate with the public at all. You're not going to be able to get your newspaper out and it'll go. I mean, you, you know, we all work very closely together. We have budget meetings together. We have stand up meetings together. You know, we're touching paper all the time. We're touching computers. If one person gets sick test positive for COVID in your newsroom, then it puts everybody at risk. So you cannot make, you, you have to make sure that these test runs work great. And we, you know, we've been pretty good about it because we've had so many disasters in the last five years that we've gotten really good about being remote and doing our jobs from our cars or from our homes. That's not a problem. But for the companies that think that they shouldn't, you know, I mean, you got to treat it like you're going into sort of like a war. You got to take precautions and you've got to be able to uh, make sure that all your people are on the same page, uh, that you get it ironed out beforehand. Have any of you wrestled with new ethical considerations or issues uh, as your coverage has changed during the pandemic? What have those ethical questions been and how have you dealt with them? On any story that we're doing, we're, 
you know, we're, 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 we're double sourcing, triple sourcing, almost everything. We're trying to get confirmation on everything because we don't want to add to the hysteria that's out there. We want to, we want to, you have to make sure that your facts are correct before you do anything. We're being very careful about, you know, who we photograph wearing masks, um, kind of not trying to leave a, you know, kind of a defining, you know, image of, you know, Asians wearing the masks all the time. So um, that, 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 you know, suggestion came from our editors a couple of, about a week and a half ago, just to be aware of um, how we might be, you know, profiling uh, certain races. The other thing that I've noticed as well is um, that this, this emergency doesn't have, you know, big visual warning signs. I mean, there's not, you know, huge amounts of smoke on the horizon. There's not rising floodwaters. There's not, you know, crumbling buildings that we normally cover. Um, how do we, you know, how do we photograph something, you know, show that it's, it is different than how things were before, rather than it just being a daily part of life. I mean, the other day I photographed a single car going across the Bay Bridge and, um, you know, I, I sat up there and waited for 15, 20 minutes to see if the traffic was lower in general. And it was, from my experience, there's empty streets all over the place. I mean, California Street in the Financial District. I mean, we're looking at the Embarcadero in San Francisco. Market Street is empty. I mean, we're talking about, I haven't seen those areas that empty since 9-11. And the bridge, I haven't seen that empty since they shut it down about 10 plus years ago to, to rebuild a section of it. Um, so, you know, those, those are very distinct things that I, I visually can remember and, you know, from my perspective can say this is different enough, but there are questions about other things we photograph, whether that is just something that we're seeing every day or if it's related to the virus, because again, it's not, virus isn't something you can see. We're seeing a lot of, um, call them parachuting journalists, um, often national journalists coming in and there was a photo essay. Uh, uh, scenes in Seattle, and there were a few like, look at this uh, graffiti that is showing, like, you know, people are graffitiing the walls because they want to show that we're in a state of emergency. But that graffiti was already there beforehand, and it was about climate change from a year ago. So um, those those sorts of things, you're right. Like, you need to have have the context, or else you are. Um, Sometimes, you know, standing, standing the flames. We've had a really, really difficult time of getting some of our hospitals to go on record uh, saying what they have and even saying how many people they have uh, in their hospitals. I mean, it's just been very tight-lipped. It's, it's very frustrating to try to get that information out there, and you're met with, you're met with a lot of um, resistance, and uh, people need to have, have a right to know what's going on in their community. These journalists noted an irony that at a time when their work is in very, very high demand, money is short. That's partly because a lot of readers and viewers are getting their news for free and partly because many of the businesses that advertise in newspapers are shut down. Our subscriber base has um, done very, very well. Um, I think in the last month, it actually, I don't know exactly how much, but it was much higher. And in some cases, our page views have um, double, tripled, even um, you know, eight times what we normally would. But on um, the same, the other side of the coin is that businesses are really hurting, so advertising is down. So I don't know how exactly that's going to even out if we're going to be saved by the number of subscribers or if we're going to be hit by the um, lack of advertising, which has been an issue for obviously a very long time. Um, 
So I think people are, are recognizing, okay, there's something to be said for person-to-person -person contact, but it, it is interesting that we do know now that we can put out a paper when everyone is outside of the newsroom. So it might um, uh, strengthen our, our options in the future, but I don't think that this is like the, the be-all, end-all. We're having a huge, uh, uh, you know, our advertisers are really, have really backed off. Um, um, and uh, we're being hit real hard. But on the, on the other hand, uh, as a journalist, I'm looking at our page views and they're just through the roof. And, you know, we've had some big events here in, just in the past three years, and our, our page views are just going through the roof with, uh, with people coming on and looking at it because we've opened up our paywall like everybody else has for the coronavirus coverage. And, uh, but, yeah, we're going to get hit hard. I think all media industries are going to get are going to get hard press, especially, you know, they're having a tough time anyway. But I do like that camaraderie that I get from a newsroom. Uh, there, there's a certain amount of, of um, uh, it's, it's a family. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's part of your second family. You know, you just have to, it's just, you work so closely together. And I do miss that because I like, you know, I like being involved in, in the daily life of a newspaper. Um, and, uh, but yeah, I think, you know, um, I think you're going to find the general consensus is that people are going to want to be around each other again. You know, right now we're seeing our digital subscribers climb our um, views going through the roof. I mean, you know, doubled in some cases, you know, or more in some cases. Um, you know, we're still putting out the daily paper too, which is, you know, <laughs> which is decidedly trickier when you're all in different locations. Um, I do think our digital subscriptions will stay high. I'm not sure if our imprint uh, subscriptions will remain the same because I think people are seeing how how much you can get and how quickly you can get it from, from a digital subscription. Um, you know, advertising is gonna be an issue when there's so many businesses that might have closed down or have, you know, um, had to lay off. A lot of people are gonna have to ramp back up to their normal, you know, uh, sales. That's gonna be tricky for them to be putting money into, into print ads. I've been around newsrooms since I was eight years old, and I love the hum and the buzz of being around people who are all kind of like, you know, pushing the train in the same direction. And um, I miss the newsroom. Um, you know, it's hard because I, you know, had to, uh, you know, um, we work remotely as, you know, as 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 our norm, and to have. Um, you know, been out of the newsroom as much as we have been, you know, as photographers for a while, all of a sudden I'm realizing now I can't have it, you know, and that's, that's kind of like the tricky part. And I, I, I will miss it, you know, until we get back together and have a nice big sheet cake, um, you know, at the, or, you know, election night pizza, you know, that'll be, uh, I'm looking forward to that again. That's it for this edition of Global Journalist. The guests for this episode were Paige Cornwell of the Seattle Times, Kent Porter of the Santa Rosa Press Democrat, and Carlos Gonzalez of the San Francisco Chronicle. Special thanks to Kat Duncan of the Reynolds Journalism Institute and everyone who submitted questions for the journalists. Some of the music in this episode was provided by Blue Dot Sessions. For previous local coverage of the coronavirus and to catch upcoming episodes of Global Journalist, visit kbia.org. For all of us at Global Journalist, I'm Trevor Hook. Thanks for listening.